Hello everyone, my name is Michael Hickens, and welcome to But I Digress, a podcast about writing, not writing, and everything in between. Hello and welcome to another edition of But I Digress, How Writers Get It Done. And today we're getting it done with Marcus Pachter, whose new book is Begat Who Begat Who Begat from Astrophil Press. His first book, Versus Death Noises, won the 2011 Subido Press Prize for Fiction. His story, Megaberry Crunch, first of all, is the best short story title ever. And secondly, was selected for Best Small Fictions 2021. Um, his work has most recently appeared in 3AM Magazine and Juked. He lives and works in Jacksonville, Florida. Marcus, thanks a lot for doing this. Thank you. I'm glad you like the title. Um, I, I like good titles and I like fun titles. Uh, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me also. Obviously. Yeah, I, my pleasure. I mean, <clears throat> your titles are all um, fun. Um, they're, um, they seem to, you know, want to elicit a, a, a chuckle, a smile. I mean, I, I, I begat who begat who begat is a title I think that everyone in their heart of hearts feels like they should have thought of that already. Um, it, 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 it's so great. It's like, it's just, it's, it's an instant, instant classic, as they say on ESPN. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think that, um, you know, we'll probably, we'll probably work our way back around to this, uh, somehow, uh, but I like having fun writing, uh, and I think that writing should be fun, or at least my writing should be fun. Uh, and, uh, if it's not fun, I know I don't want to do it. And so everything, um, titles, everything, I, I like to have fun with it and play around and see what happens. Um, and I, I mean, uh, there's no time like the present. Um, so, I mean, writing, um, it's, it's, like a, it's a tough business. Um, and one of the things that I think makes it tough is that, um, you know, we have as writers, a lot of competition for people's free time. Um, and I think that, I don't know, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you position yourself vis-a-vis, you know, um, all the other things that are out there, whether it's TV, movies, music, videos? Yeah, you know, I teach, and when I talk to students about it, I talk about exactly that, which is that there is so much competition for, for your time, for a reader's time, for any human being's time, it's really hard to make your way in edgewise and make people say, I want to give time to this book or this story. Uh, and really, it's almost an impossible ask, given the amount of options that the average person has or the average American has for their time. And so the best you can do is maybe follow Barry Hanna's advice, I think. I think it's Barry Hanna's advice, or it's an apocryphal story that I heard about Barry Hanna. Uh, <laughs> anybody who hasn't uh, read Barry Hanna, by the way, and you like fun, should read Barry Hanna. But uh, he once uh, told his class, uh, and he probably frustrated a lot of people when he said this, but he said, writing is really easy. You just have to be interesting on every page. And uh, it, it is easy when you say it like that, but it's very hard to do. But my own idea is, to really try to do that 
And every choice that I'm making, I'm saying, is this interesting? At least to me, do I think people might be interested in this? So like a title of a book, title of a story, uh, where this person is going to go now or what they're gonna talk about right now. Uh, is it liable to interest somebody? Does it have a chance of interesting somebody? And if it's so, yes. And if not, uh, no. And so like that allows, it actually kind of directs me to cut a whole bunch of other stuff, all the kind of like getting across town stuff, uh, right. descriptions of like uh, what people eat for breakfast if it's not really important, like or not very interesting, like uh, we just cut all that aside. And so uh, does, it, does it work? I think that the people who actually like, the people who are interested in the types of things that I'm interested in uh, are going to be into it. And, uh, you know, maybe the best way to think about it is this, like if you have a lot of competition, you're trying to find your market and the readers who are gonna be interested in your work, you're trying to tailor things that you're doing to interest the people that are likely to come around to you. You know, like I'm not writing, uh, I'm not writing like Jonathan Franzen uh, and I'm not, I'm not writing exactly for uh, people who are interested in uh, knowing uh, what it's like to live under the coronavirus. Uh, but I'm writing to people who are interested in like thinking about like, what if strawberries had consciousness? Uh, mm -hmm. Is that interesting to you? Uh, are you, what if, a, what if a toilet had certain magical properties and sent up a gift every time you flushed it? I'm banking that there are a few people out there who might be interested in that. And uh, I'm trying to push those ideas and those sorts of ideas as far as I can uh, and see what happens. So did you get in this for the money? Oh, no. I, I, I think I might be more fortunate than other folks. Uh, when I was an undergrad and I'd been in journalism school for a minute and that didn't work because I wasn't that interested in facts apparently. <laughs> uh, and I like, and I started to take like my first creative writing classes, like, you know, um, some folks were in it for an elective and whatever, but like, I would like declare, like, I'm going to be a writer and like, you know, um, kind of pull me aside and they're like, you better have a second hustle. Uh, you better have something else to do because there's not a lot of money uh, in this. And I was also fortunate that uh, I'd been working since I was 15 anyway. So like, I always knew like uh, a job is for money and this is for something else, partly for fun, partly for art, partly as a way of exploring whatever was coming to my mind and seeing what I could do with it. Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's certain kinds of writing that are like designed for making money. Uh, the Michael Crichton sort of thriller, uh, which is great uh, for them, uh, but that's not exactly why I got into it. And no, it's not, it's not. So you live in Jacksonville, um, which is a, a major city, but it's not exactly known anyway as a hotbed of literary ferment. Um, do you feel disadvantaged from a professional and a publishing standpoint because you live in Jacksonville or do you find that there's a community there too and is it supportive? I mean, how does, how does it work living outside of a major metropolitan area? Yeah, so uh, I've thought about like 
every so often uh, when I was younger, I thought about like, what would it be like to be in New York? Um, where there are all kinds of like, obviously like there are agents everywhere and like there are all kinds of literary activities that are going on. Like writers are all moving, writers move to New York. Like that, like that's just kind of a known thing or some major city, Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, like these seem like destination places for writers. There are a lot of cultural happenings happen occurring. But I think that for me, uh, that's not too necessary. Uh, maybe not in the 21st century. I don't know if it's necessary for anybody. Uh, the internet makes it really easy to meet all your favorite writers, uh, or at least all of mine. Um, they're on Twitter, they're on Facebook. And like, if you like their book, like you just send them a little message and they've always been super kind to me. Uh, and so you can find a lot of that through social media. And, you know, Jacksonville is not, definitely not uh, any of those major cities that I named above. Uh, we just, but we do have uh, good stuff going on, I would say. Uh, good stuff going on. We have a festival called Jacks by Jacks every year. We're like, uh, you know, there's this neighborhood that like gives over their restaurants and coffee shops and whatnot to writers come in and like, read their work to audiences and the audiences can like move around the neighborhood and visit place to place and meet a bunch of writers and the writers can all meet one another. And those are really good. Uh, we've got some good journals going on around here. Uh, and like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how many people in your audience would be familiar with the poet Francis Driscoll, uh, but she's got a book called the rape poems. It's um, brilliant and terrifying. Uh, and of course, Paget Powell, uh, one of the great writers of our time, uh, writes quite a bit about Jacksonville and kind of grew up in Jacksonville. And um, you know, we got a few small things, but as um, you know, anybody who comes through here knows uh, it, it's still it still ain't New York. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're just not going to have that. Um, we're not going to yeah, it, and it doesn't go with my lifestyle either. I'm kind of a suburban dad these days uh, in a lot of ways, and. Uh, Need to be home with my kids. Do you find, do you like being with other writers? Do you find that it's helpful to meet with other writers regularly or occasionally or not at all? How do you feel about the idea of a literary community or a salon or something like that? Yeah, it, it sounds nice. Uh, <laughs> I don't, it sounds really nice. Uh, and I think some people have that I have a I have a group of friends who write, and uh, when I really feel like I need another opinion on something, I can send it to them. And certainly before I send out the book, like I pass it around. I'm like, just tell me, tell me if I'm nuts. Uh, tell me what you think and where I'm going wrong. Uh, but I don't think that I need it too much. Mm -hmm. I myself uh, am really uh, got so much going on, like. One thing about community is that you need to give back to it. I know that. And uh, I have two young children. Uh, I have home improvement duties. Like, mm -hmm. You know, like I just learned to repair like the ceiling that le leaked through and like, you know, like got stuff I got to do. And I just don't have time to give to other writers the readings that they really deserve. If I'm going to ask them to read mine, I need to read theirs. And I believe that absolutely. And one day I hope to do that. But right now I have to kind of, uh, I have to find time to write myself. Uh, 
and uh, when I have that time, I give it all to the writing. Yeah, I I, I hear exactly what you're talking about. Um, I, I feel like also, I mean, this is going to be heresy, but I don't think that um, writing communities are necessarily all that helpful. I think artistic communities are helpful. Hmm. Um, when I lived in Paris, I, I noticed that the people that were the most fun to hang out with and the ones that were the most welcoming and the ones that in a way were the most stimulating were painters. Um, and part of it is because their work's visual, you know, um, you don't have to spend time reading, you know, you go, you hang out at their studio, you look at the stuff they're working on. Um, and um, maybe the fact that I was a writer, but they hung out with each other um, and they painted, they shared studio space. Um, I mean, I'm talking about painters who were on the come, so they, they didn't necessarily have their own big spaces. Some of them did have small spaces of their own, but a lot of them worked um, in, um, uh, they squatted in some cases, um, but it was just um, more convivial, uh, less, there was less obvious rivalry um, and less secrecy about what you were doing. And um, I, I, I find that writers tend to be hermetic and they tend to be a little paranoid um, and not necessarily um, as giving as, 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 as visual artists. So I, I kind of hung out more with, with those folks, but I found that having an artistic community was very um, sustaining especially because always having to make a living doing something else, um, yeah. your, um, you know, your soul is exposed to um, the rough side of the nail file and not the fine <laughs> side. Um, so it was nice to flip the nail file around, you know, right. a little bit. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder how much like, you know, every writer that I know has very definite ideas about writing. And how, at a certain point, like your ideas kind of get hardened, don't they? Like this yeah. is this is what I'm about, you know, and uh, and this is what I'm interested in. And uh, you know, if your writing isn't quite giving me that, uh, you know, I'm gonna try and like tell you how to get it to where I'm at, where I, where what I want is. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know if I need that particularly at this point in my life like that seems like a good thing for like that seems like what the mfa program is for isn't it like uh, people telling each other their ideas and like sharing them um but now i'm kind of years past that maybe um maybe it's not that necessary maybe it's not that necessary so now your day job is 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 being a university professor right. um and you've worked since you were 15 so you've seen a bunch of different scenarios. What is it about working in the university environment, context, working hours, that kind of thing? How does that, why does that work for you in a way that, you know, I don't know, working as a copywriter in an advertising firm wouldn't? Well, it just gives me the kind of flexibility that makes it possible for me to not just write, but to give my kids the time that they need. Mm -hmm. uh, to give uh, you know my extended family like uh, the time that they need you know 
one thing that's happened to me in the past year, and I think it's happened to a lot of people, is realizing how much we need family and how much family needs us. And, you know, I don't know if I had, uh, I used to line cook. That's how, I mean, that's how I worked until I got this job pretty much. And the kind of hours you have to work as a cook and the kind of lifestyle that cooking entails, I don't know if I'd be able to do both the writing and the reading and the work and the family that I get to do. And I'm extremely fortunate in that regard. I know a lot of people who write and work full time and try to have family. I think you do. Am I right? Like, you're, yeah. you're like, like, I mean, that, I mean, that, that's hard. It's really hard. It's hard. It's hard when I'm just working at the university and I have this kind of flexibility. So I'm really grateful for it. I seriously doubt this book could have happened uh, without it because in the time that it took while I was writing this book, like both of my kids were born and like taking care of them, like teaching them and like getting to know them and helping them ride bikes and stuff. Uh, I'm writing too. And I don't know if I could have been there like that without this job. So it's been extremely important to me because otherwise I would have had to choose and I would have chosen my kids and there would be no book. Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many different choices uh, people make um, around this. Um, and, you know, I, I think, you know, when I think about why I have this podcast, right, it's to talk about that as much as anything else. Um, and to sort of dispel this idea that to be a successful artist, you have to be a jerk uh, in your personal life. Um, I think that's a choice. Um, I, I think you can be as rough hewn in your art as you want to be. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to be an asshole. Um, and, um, <clears throat> um, but it's interesting. I mean, I, I have a job that gives me, I feel like I have a job that gives me uh, a lot of flexibility, more so than if I were a professor, because I feel, see, I don't, I need the sort of every day, I'm gonna work from this o'clock to that o'clock in my writing. Um, and from what I know about people who work in, in, in university settings, there's kind of, there's a lot of time when you have a lot of time, but there's also a lot of time when you're reading other people's work and you're teaching and you're just, you're, you're correcting papers or tests or whatever, um, and you don't have time to write. And that would mess with my mojo yeah. um, because I just, I, need, I, I would rather, and I mean, now I have even more flexibility job I have now because I work from home. I don't have commute time. Um, and I always had, it was not just the pandemic, ever since I've started working um, uh, at Oracle, I, I basically, yeah, I don't have to commute. Um, and it, it, it's, it saves me so much time. Um, but I mean, there were times when I would, you know, I'd have 45 minutes to an hour a day tops in the morning, mm -hmm. but that was enough. It was like, if you do it every day, but that was, you know, that was for me. 
Um, yeah. I'm just, you know, obviously I think I, I think what makes makes life interesting is that everyone has different, yeah. different needs, yeah. different approaches. Yeah, I'm um, not sure what I would do if I had a couple of hours every day or like a set time every day. Like that's what everybody seems like. It's what everybody should want, what everybody should be after. I don't know if I've ever had that uh, because I work, even as a restaurant, even the restaurant, like your schedules change every week. Right. Uh, and it's, it's an intense lifestyle, or at least I was living the lifestyle intensely uh, with all the, um, everything like, yeah, I was living the lifestyle intensely. And so, you know, it's always been kind of chaos and scrapping for time. And so some days, some days I do have an hour or two, but then the next day I might have like 10 minutes. Uh, right. to kind of like just work on a sentence and what I try to when I'm teaching students I try to tell them about you know you have to kind of learn to you know just kind of to realize that for most people life never opens up in the way that you hear about in like Stephen King on writing when he talks about like you know and a lot of really big writers talk about like you know, I write like three or four hours in the morning and then I have lunch and then I take a nap and then I come back and I'll revise everything. And it's, I'm like, guys, the idea of you having that sort of time at some point is like unlikely. Right now, you're working full time and you're taking all these classes. And when you get out of school, you're going to try and scrap for a job or get a job with a lot of hours. Maybe you have a relationship, you, you know, getting married, you're having kids. Like time doesn't like, it rarely opens up for people that way. And so you kind of have to force the issue. And some days, like you just have to steal that hour or you just have to have the 10 minutes just to look at the one sentence that you know stinks right now. And that is a hard business because, you know, you can't, like some people can be jerks, you know, and, you know, just tell their family like, nope, I'm not doing it. Like, not taking you to school. I'm not taking a band practice because I'm writing right now. Uh, and if you do that, I, I mean, it's a choice. It's not certainly not going to be my choice. Uh, I, I have to take them to practice and I have to come home and find some time to write. That's, that's something we all kind of face. Every writer sits around and like realize, like has to face that choice. And some people just say, I can't do it. I'm not doing the writing. I can't get there. And other people are scrapping for that time and if you're scrapping for that time you kind of have to believe that it will accumulate over the long haul and pay dividends the other thing that i say is like one push-up is worth infinitely more than zero just is and if you're just doing if you just do one push-up today you've done way better than the guy who's done zero and so some days you just have time for the one push-up you can do it it's good it's good yeah, I, I mean, the thing also is, well, go way, uh, get, get very discursive, but it's like, why are you writing? Who yes. are you writing for? Yes. Why are you writing? You know, those guys, like, you know, like, some guys are writing for money. They're writing for money. They're clearly writing for money. And all power to you. And if you want to write for money, like, you just, I mean, you just have to study, like, you can see, like, how the templates work. Uh, for most of these popular books, there are books with the templates in them. Uh, you probably don't even have to buy the book. You probably find it on the internet. And you just plug your characters into the template and away you go. And I mean, if you're writing for that, that's that's cool. But if you're writing because 
you've got these images in your brain and you've got these words that just keep spewing out of yourself. Like that's a whole other prospect. And if you've got that going on, then you need to make time for it because that's, that's your secret life. That's like your real life beyond any kind of productivity, beyond any kind of desire for money. Um, that's your real, that's your real life. And um, if you kind of feed that as much as you can, in spite of the world, got to believe it's going to lead somewhere. So there's, you know, there's self-publishing, there's getting published by your best friend, there's getting published by a small independent press, medium-sized independent press, large independent press, and then, you know, the big five or however many are left. Um, and, you know, there's varying levels of prestige, ability to get reviewed, um, distribution. Um, sometimes, not always money, right? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, not, not every small press has no money and not every big publisher pays large advances, um, but there's some of that. So I guess as you know, as you were birthing a book, do you think of, um, you know, do you, do you start at the very top going, I'm gonna try to sell this to Norton um, or, or, you know, I need to find an agent who can sell this to Norton. Um, or do you look at it and say, this is never going to go there. And I'm going to go with, you know, I'm going to try to find uh, an independent press that's interested in this and, and go from there. I, how, how did you approach finding a, a publisher for your work? Right. So I, I did not try for an agent or to get to one of the big publishing houses, which is not to say that I would necessarily tell agents I don't want to make use of their services or that I wouldn't want to be published by some big place that would put a lot of money behind. You know, of course, like, you know, I think everybody has a dream when they first start writing that, you know, my book is going to both uh, be a, a book of artistic merit uh, and really uh, do something interesting and cool that people haven't messed around with before. And also I'm going to sell a lot of books uh, and I'm going to be in Barnes and Noble and people are going to, you know, it's going to be prestige and all that sort of thing. But all, it's all wonderful. But, but I didn't do that. Maybe in part out of fear um, or out of like, maybe it's just, I just um, I don't identify uh, with the types of books that they are generally selling and putting out there, find that the independent presses, and the smaller presses are doing, are where like the most interesting work is for me, people who are not working with templates, they're making their own templates. Uh, they're seeing what's happening and they're pushing things as far as they can go. And I find the books that I really like are those sorts of books that are 
trying to do things that are totally different from what you see at Barnes and Noble. You, you had a few, few shows ago, you had on one of the great wild writers of our time, Lance Olson, uh, who uh, has done like the kind of thing that I like and has had the kind of career that I really admire and look up to. He's been publishing for 30 years. He's published a whole bunch of 30 plus years. He's published a whole bunch of books, all different types. He's done it his way. Uh, and each time he sets out, he's going to do it a little bit differently. And he's going to have some fun with it. And he's also been able to hook up with really good publishers, not big five publishers, but places like uh, Zank and FC2 uh, that, uh, you know, in the crowd of fiction that I admire and I look at, those are like, those are like big five level places because they're publishing some of the very best, interesting writing uh, out there. And I think also, if I remember your show correctly, I think Lance said he didn't have an, an agent or didn't have an agent right now. I might be misremembering that. I might just- No, that's right. To, uh, okay, good. I, I, was wor I was worried if I uh, only wanted to believe that. Uh, you know, uh, he's had a very successful career uh, without an agent, uh, really successful. And I think- And it's funny. I mean, he's had, he's, you're right. Um, and and I, 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 well, I agree with you. I don't know if you're right, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of teased him a little bit about this. I mean, part of the trade-off is, you know, he he's splits his time between, you know, Salt Lake City and Idaho, neither of which are very expensive places to live. Right. And, you know, there is that, that trade-off. Um, and, and to your point about the ability now to connect with writers thanks to the internet and we're, we're doing it right now we're examples right. of that yes. um and in some way I, I i feel like i am creating a community and the fact that you're referencing lance is awesome because you know it's kind of the whole it, uh kind of the whole point um and um but yeah i mean his you know lance is a great example but um uh don't want to get off on a lance-a-thon either I think that for a writer like myself, uh, like he's had the kind of career that you look at and you say, that's it. That's it right there. Um, he's, uh, he might not be in Barnes and Nobles, uh, you know, featured writer or anything like that, but he's able to do exactly what he wants, the way that he's wanted to do it all along. And he's got a very devoted readership that not just devoted readership, but kind of consistently growing readership uh, while still taking risks and still doing it exactly his way. I don't think that anybody in any any sort of career could want it any differently. Like that's that's how you want it. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, are you already thinking about a next book? Yeah, uh, you know, one of the good things about the pandemic, <laughs> there's a good thing about the pandemic uh, is that at least for me, especially in 2020, that summer, I just had nothing to do. Uh, there was nowhere to go. Uh, there wasn't much going on, you know, like I, there was no practice to take the kids to. Uh, and I just had time. And 
you know, over the past year and a half, like I've just been writing and writing and like putting together some stories uh, and trying to draft a novel, uh, which might be a mistake on my part. I've tried novels several times, and, like it's hard, uh, but so I'm slowly but surely compiling stories for a new collection. I've got a draft of this book, of this novel, and uh, you know, I am, you know, it is really that one push-up theory. Uh, some days I can knock out a lot, and some days, uh, you know, I, I seem to knock out a lot, but it's really all garbage. And some days, just a little bit here, a little bit there. But you accumulate sentences over time, and you accumulate pages over time, and eventually they become something, uh, and hopefully that something is good. And so, yeah, the, I'm always working, even if it's just my brain, uh, or even just with a little scrap of paper. You know, you write, you read, you read some paragraph in a book, and you're like, "That's really good." Oh man, look what my look what I'm thinking. And you just write a little note down, and like, uh, you take that back with you. Um, it's always there's always something going on. Is there something that you've learned along the way that you wish you had known when you were younger, in terms of writing? Yeah. Uh, there's so much, of course, like, you don't, you don't realize what a black hole of ignorance you are until like you kind of like, you climb a little bit out of that hole uh -huh. uh, and you realize just how deep the darkness is. Uh, and of course, like you don't realize when you're looking at that black hole, how deep the darkness still is. <laughs> but, but I mean, the one thing that I would say is that I just didn't know how little depended on like the quality of the action. Uh, and let me try to explain that clearly. When you're writing, especially for me, when I was writing, I was young, I was really fast and just trying to describe all kinds of crazy things. And I didn't spend enough time drawing connections between the crazy things. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I didn't spend the time just trying to write a good sentence. I had grammar. I, grammar has never been a problem for me. I had that, but writing a sentence that was worth somebody's time reading, that wasn't just purely informational, but had some sense of style. And I remember in grad school, now that I'm talking about this, I'd written an opening chapter of a novel that was destined to be terrible and not go anywhere. But that opening chapter was pretty good in the sense that like, it built up to, like an action that would make readers wanna read chapter two. And everybody said that in the workshop, just about. And Professor uh, Deborah Monroe also said, this is a really good chapter this book could be something, uh, you know, what you have here is architecture that makes a certain amount of sense. And, but the style, uh, the style is really rough. And by really rough, she meant that it had no style at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I just didn't know how to get there. And it took many, many pages and a whole lot of work before I realized where I needed to go and what I needed to do and how to work on that. And I just wish that I had just cared about it because even when she said it, I didn't care that much, which is insane now that I'm looking back on it. Like, I just didn't think like, 
what she's telling me is I have to work on my sentences. I have to make my sentences better. Uh, and it took me a long time. I mean, I'm in grad school. It still took me a long time in grad school and after grad school to really believe it and get there and do something with it. And so when I'm teaching now, like a lot of what we talk about is just like sentences, like, what are you saying here? What are you trying to, what are you, what are you describing? Are you describing anything? You know, like, uh, are you just purely informational or are you just, are you giving us something that's worth considering? Uh, and that's something I wish I had known because if I had, uh, I would have saved myself a lot of time. Mm -hmm. uh, saved myself a lot of time. So was. Did, did you have a role model or a literary inspiration growing up? Yeah, I, my literary inspiration when I was growing up uh, as a kid was all about the X-Men. Uh, I read comic books uh, and especially X-Men like a fiend. I didn't read books. I didn't read books uh, too much as a kid uh, until I got into college, really. Like I read a book here and there. Uh, I think I read The Stranger in high school, but I, didn't, I read the X-Men and I thought Chris Claremont is genius. Uh, yeah, every the stories kind of built up over time, but they were interesting issue by issue. It had a bunch of different characters going all the, all over the world and like just crushing it. And um, I just thought that was amazing. Like I thought uh, to be able to do that month after month. And sometimes sometimes they'd make those dudes at those comic book uh, companies uh, would make those writers and those artists published two or three times a month. And just like think about trying to put out something that is worth putting your name on once, twice, three times a month for years on end. Um, much respect, man. <laughs> it mm -hmm. takes me a long time to write five pages that I don't want to show anybody. Uh, yeah. So I looked up to them and they really did kind of like suggest to me, like telling stories, making fiction is really where it's at and much That's more interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, what what is your relationship to physical books? Do you dog ear? Um, do you underline? Do you highlight? Do you treat them like holy objects? What's your What's uh, your deal? I mark all my books up. I'm like, yeah, I'm like talking to books. Uh, you know, some of it's like checking lines that I think just like really cool. Uh, sometimes um, write a little note. Like, uh, when something really freaky happens or when like, I just think like, this is where it is. Like, I'll make little notes to myself. I'll talk back to, not like the characters, but sometimes like the writer, just like, uh, what are we, what is happening? Uh, <laughs> and some, sometimes like, uh, you know, sometimes a more decisive uh, sort of note, uh, though I can't think of an example right now. Uh, you know, some of those pages, they look like pages of Talmud. I don't know mm -hmm. if you've ever seen a page of Talmud. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, uh, you know, like there's like the page uh, and at the this center is the commentary. It, yeah, at the center of it, like it's got like the law that we're discussing right now. And then there's commentary like all around it. And as you get closer to the edges, like it gets smaller and the print gets smaller and smaller. And some of my pages kind of look like that because I've read them so many times and I've had so much to say each time. The first page, like uh, the Metamorphosis by Kafka, uh, like it, it's full. It's full. There's no white space left on it because uh, I just 
you know, you come back to it and uh, I'd love to see, I, I, just take a picture of that and post it. I'd love right? to see like, that. Yeah, like, I mean, it's just like all these notes, underlines, like, you know, how is this working? Like that sort of thing. And um, yeah, so it's not a holy object thing. My wife, uh, this is one of one of probably many things that drives my wife crazy, but this is one she'll let me know about because she's a librarian and she just like, her relationship to books is very different from mine. Um, we both love books, right. but the idea of marking a book for her is, uh, she must love me because <laughs> <laughs> uh, this other bit, like this thing right here is uh, otherwise heresy. Right, no, I'm I'm more on, on, on her side of things. I used to mark things right uh, in books. And I, I, I don't, first of all, because then I have to go back to the, to me, like I, I'm more likely to refer to my notebooks than I am to a book. And I might not remember what book I wrote some note in, um, but also just because I, I, like I don't dog ear. I, I collect bookmarks so that I can not dog ear books. Um, Cause I, I often read some of, you know, several books simultaneously. So I need more than one bookmark, but um, yeah, I'm very careful with my books. Um, um, but it, it, there, I have no, I'm just curious. Uh, it's not about, there's no value judgment. Yeah, <laughs> I, know. I, um, I also love the smell of books. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just especially hardcovers, but even yeah. like good paperbacks. I remember New Direction paperbacks used to smell really good. I know it's yeah. an absurd thing to say. Um, if you hadn't become a writer, is there something that growing up you were like, yeah, I want to be, you know, center fielder for the Yankees or president well, of the United States or something like that? Well, if I wasn't a writer, I'd probably, I'd probably be a chef by now. Like, I mm -hmm. really love cooking. Uh, but as a kid, as a kid, uh, and even, even for, like, as a kid, like, I, like, dreamed about being, like, a pro basketball player or something, which is patently absurd. They, I can't shoot. Uh, I can't shoot. Um, I'm five foot three. Uh, my my vision is not so good. But growing up, like I grew up, like a, a lot of kids, you know, I grew up in the generation that saw Jordan, and uh, you know, when I when Jordan was in, in his prime, I was between twelve and seventeen in that first title run that Chicago had, and I just watched him every day, and I just thought. I would love to be that. I would love to be that, uh, you know, but all I can do really is work hard when I play basketball. I, I try my best. Well, listen, this has just been awesome. Uh, we're all much better off with you being a writer than having tried to be a basketball player. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Michael Hickens, and you've been listening to But I Digress, a podcast about writing, not writing, and everything in between. If you want to know more about me, please visit my website at www.michaelmissing.com.